have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? How's oh, it yeah. that 200-inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's happening, guys? Got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. Well, I don't yet. I'm going to record it right now. So it's going to be a solo episode uh, I want to talk about high country mule deer. Um, man, I, I leave for this trip tomorrow early in the morning. Going to be driving down, hiking in tomorrow afternoon, cutting these legs loose in a backpack adventure hunt. Uh, just couldn't be more jacked to get in the mountains and um, challenge myself mentally and physically and and try to be clutch and, and arrow a buck back there. So uh, I'm super excited. I want to share some of the information that has helped make me successful over the last 20 years of hunting uh, mule deer and hunting high country bucks and so hopefully uh, can get you guys some good tips and tactics that'll help you in, in your mule deer endeavors or um, you know a lot of these stalking skills can be applied to every different species from antelope to elk to bear and, and sure some of these animals have different tendencies but all these rules still apply so going to go through what I look for in high country mule deer hunting so should make for a good one just want to thank a couple of my sponsors uh, we have a new sponsor on Eastman's Elevated, and I really like that you guys help support all these sponsors that help support me, that bring a, you know, they allow me to bring out this information every week. Um, it, it just means a lot to me to do right by these sponsors, so I'm so thankful to have uh, Black Ovis come on Eastman's Elevated. Uh, so they're an online retailer that sell all the top brands. And I see these guys, they're hunters themselves. I had like an in-depth conversation with one of the head guys, Marcus, who's got a limited entry bull tag in Utah this year. He's really excited about that and talking about the different guys in their shop that hunt, that listen to the podcast. And so I just couldn't be more excited to partner with a company like this. Like I see him at TAC. I saw him at uh, the Western Hunting Expo. They have such a great showing uh, for us western sportsmen and he told me personally like if you have any projects come up tell me about them we want to support these we want to partner with you so just great guys but uh, they're an outdoor retailer uh, you can save 10% off their website right now my promo code is elevated 10 so you put that in at checkout get 10% out off but absolutely everything you need for hunting uh, they have Cryptech there. They have Zamberlin. Uh, they have Everly Stock. They have a bunch of the sponsors that I already use. They have a great user-friendly website. And uh, like I say, great guys that I'm happy to team up with and support. So anything you need for this hunting season, make sure to go check them out at Black Ovis. I also want to thank Camo Fire. So Camo Fire, quite possibly the most addictive app for hunters, uh, loved by men and hated by wives. That, uh, uh it's uh, what a great app. It's, you know, for the blue collar hunter that can get deals on hunting gear. They have all these great things come up. And I know my buddies use them. I know Dylan uses Camo Fire. Uh, my buddy Dan uses it. And they just get these screaming deals that, that come up on different gear items. And so uh, I believe they have 80... 80 hunting items that come up every 24 hours. Uh, 80 hunting deals and so uh, yeah that camo fire website check it out guys it's great deals on great gear all right i also want to thank cryptech um we partnered with cryptech this year i couldn't be more excited i used their gear all last season and um this season uh, they've just got me all set up. This is the best technical hunting mountaineer system that I have ever had. Uh, they came out with puffy pants this year, a uh, puffy jacket. They got two different layers. So one for early season that's a little bit lighter weight, one that's a little bit heavier. And I love the cut on these jackets. The cut goes over my butt to keep me warm. Um, there's just nothing like putting on a puffball jacket around camp or on the vantage point. And the biggest game changer has been those those puffy pants for me for regulating temperature. I wear them when it gets super cold, wear them on the vantage point. It's just a game changer. But they have everything that I need from hot weather hunts to cold weather hunts. The best system I've ever had put together. Shoulder fabric for uh, their rain jackets, which is a superior mountaineering fabric or technical 
uh, mountaineering fabric. Um, so yeah, it's just awesome gear. I couldn't be more excited to use it this season. Love the camo patterns. The altitude pattern is great. Every picture I see where I'm uh, next to the trees or I'm in dark, it seems to blend in really well. Uh, I also like the Obscura transitional. So that's what I'll be taking on this hunt as it's open country. So uh, it's just got some shadows that work through it. It's a lighter tan camo, just got great coloration in it. I really blend in well to all different habitats and they have my Sonoran shirt for hot weather gear. I'll be wearing that a bunch on this hunt. They have Sonoran pants that breathe really well uh, up to the, the Valhalla pant is a great mid-season pant. Uh, they have a, a, a heavier weight um, like hoodie. Uh, that I'll that I'll wear all the time. It'll be my mid layer. Uh, they have vests, great lightweight jackets. Like I say, absolutely everything I need for hunting the West. So couldn't be more excited to partner with Cryptech. If you're in the market for any new camo, make sure to check them out. And with that, let's get into it. Mule deer hunting, man. Leaving tomorrow. I can't believe it. So excited. Um. So yeah, mule deer. Mule deer are are quite possibly my favorite species to hunt. Like I love hunting all species and all different habitats, all different seasons, but there's nothing that gets me more excited than high country mule deer. It just takes place in the most extreme terrain up there. It's, um, you know, you have to get up to high elevation. You've got to climb mountains, top peaks. Uh, you're up at 10,000, 11,000, Colorado, you're 13,000. So, uh, it's a real extreme environment and that, you know, it seems like that that elevation really plays a huge role in the hunt. So it's always good to acclimate before you get there. If I'm going to hunt, say, twelve or 13,000 feet, uh, I've got some saddles that I'll stop on and I'll sleep at just outside my truck, like around 10, 11,000 feet, and I'll use that night to acclimate. So I'm not going to be able to do that tonight. I will be going to 10,000 feet tomorrow. I do live at 5,500, uh, but I'll feel the elevation tomorrow, and it's going to be hot. Uh, going to have nine days worth of gear on my back. And so I'm um, going to have a lot of weight and um, also have to pack water to the top. So uh, it's going to be a grind tomorrow. It's grueling to get in there, but will be worth it once I get into the spot. But yeah, I'm always trying to acclimate. It just seems like that high elevation, it puts such a wear on me. Like I, I get a little appetite suppressed. Like I don't feel like eating. Uh, you know, I just don't get as much oxygen through my blood that are fueling my muscles. So it seems like my legs will get on fire quicker. Um, you know, obviously out of wind and out of breath, don't have the same wind capabilities up there at higher elevation. And so it just puts this extra wear on my body and it's, you know, it's, it's, it's the extra things on a hunt. Like we don't always feel a hundred percent. Half the time we've driven halfway across the country. Uh, we're sleep deprived. Uh, we're worn out from hunting multiple days. Like um, it's never perfect. And so like this whole thing just starts and ends with the mind. And, and it starts with the mind all in our training and our mindset, being a student of the game, trying to better ourselves, you know, and this is all, you know, I, I say you, but I actually mean me like a, all I'm doing is sharing my journey with you. This is, um, uh, this is all self-reflection. And so I just give you guys the journey or the path that I've been on that I, that I found success doing. And it's through hard work and dedication. It's through, uh, really callousing the mind and having this tough mindset. Like these are some of my biggest attributes. Uh, persistence is deadly. I just keep after him, keep the right mindset and eventually create an opportunity. And so, uh, a lot of my preparation for this hunt, you know, of course, I've been getting in my workouts. I've been shooting my bow. A lot of it's been getting my work done, uh, making sure my jobs are in good order. In fact, I'm still working tonight. It's um, 530, so I'm off the construction site working here. Got to send a few emails, get a couple podcasts loaded up for you guys, and then can hit the road tomorrow. But I'll work till late into the night tonight getting things done. And, and so a lot of it is uh, just getting my responsibilities taken care of. And so I can enjoy my time and feel good about my time in there. But it all starts and ends with the mind. So uh, just been really thinking um, about this hunt, about tough hunts I've been on, and um, just that that um, need to continue to put forth effort day in, day out. I mean, you do find a, I do find a pace in the mountains, but it, it's also 
I want to push my limits. If I'm not finding deer, I want to move my camp. I, I want to make sure that I don't get discouraged. I've been waiting all year for this. I know I'm going to come across challenges. These hunts never go as planned. They're always different than I have laid out. I'm going to get there. I'm going to have to adapt to the situation I'm given. And uh, I'm going to adapt and make the best decisions I can. I'm going to be decisive up there. And um, I'm going to push hard. I'm also uh, going to make sure that I'm, that I'm not reckless. Uh, you know, anytime moving through mule deer country, I want to be low impact. So I'm going to be quiet, whispering at camp, camp in good locations, uh, really glass as I go before I get to the vantage point so I don't bump deer. Once I'm on the vantage point, be diligent through my glass to really turn up bucks, get a good look at them, make a good game plan. Um, so these are just some of the things I'm thinking about and, and, and finding these deer in the high country, you know, they're, they're not, they're not spread out all the way through it. Like they, they have certain locations that they, that they like certain basins they like, and they return to and, and other basins can look as bucky as the basins they're in, or like it can all look the same and you just find them in certain places. So during these high country mule deer hunts, a lot of times I like to move with my camp or I'll move my camp to strategic camping places and hunt out of there for a couple days, check out what's going on. If I'm not seeing them in the early season, I'm not looking for a phantom buck. Like sometimes they can move down in secondary living where you have to glass a little bit longer to turn them up. But for the most part, you know, these bucks are going to be active. They're going to be out and feeding in places I can see them where if I get to good vantage points at, at prime time, I'm going to turn them up. Maybe not every deer from every vantage point every time, but I'm going to see the majority of them. So um going to camp off the ridgelines, camp in a safe spot. Uh, don't want to get struck by lightning. Uh, you guys have probably heard me talk about lightning way too many times on this podcast, but it can be so gnarly. When you're up there in the peaks and these storms roll in, it's not like being in the safety of your car or the safety of your house. Uh, these lightning bolts, um, uh, the lightning just has so much power running through them. Um, and, and when they strike next to you, when you see the flash and you hear the bang at the very same, same time when it's, you know, a hundred yards away from you or less, like it is spooky. Uh, they're so loud and the, the flash, like, um, it's, it can be really gnarly. And I've seen them hit ridgelines multiple times in one storm. And up there, when it gets snappy up in the mountains, which is right now in August and September, like they're... You know, I can have 100, 200, 300 lightning strikes uh, all within a half mile of me in a night. Um, I've had to ride out some really bad ones, but, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I've got my mind right. Like I'm, you know, part of this, this game is like, what are you willing to put into it? You know, and, and for me, it means everything to me. And I want to go have this adventure. And part of having an adventure is being immersed in danger. And so there will be dangerous situations that I get into, whether that's in the steep, whether that's long miles, big elevation, or whether it's lightning, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to face challenges and I know that, and I'm, I'm just ready for it, ready to embrace it. Um, so I like to camp in safe spots where I can ride out storms in a group of trees, 500 yards off the ridge. I'd rather hike that five, uh, did I say yards? I meant 500 feet, like talking vertical feet. So 500 feet off the ridge. I like to be down about that far just to feel safe. Um, those ridgelines are just attractants for lightning and, and lightning can come in. You can look at your forecast and it doesn't show any chance of a storm and they just are, are attracted to those mountains that time of year. And you can have one just form right over top of you. In fact, some of the scariest situations I've been in are where the storm forms right around me. So I'm up on the mountain peaks, it's blue sky, or at least it's overcast and, but it's clear the ceiling's high and all of a sudden I can I can start to see the ceiling drop like there's I don't see a lot of times these storms you can read and you can see them coming. I can see dark thunder boomers building in the uh, in the distance and I know that the storms usually come from the southwest because I get to learn the mountain ranges I'm in there. The other ones form right around you and those are the scary ones. That's where the ceiling starts to drop. You don't see a storm rolling in. All of a sudden the clouds just drop and I've had the first strike be like right above me on the ridge line. Like it'll just come in all of a sudden. So be cognizant of that too. That ceiling starts to drop. Cloud starts to roll in. It just starts feeling weird and eerie. Make sure you're off those vantage points or off those 
these big ridge lines. I mean, um, the first three rules of backcountry hunting are safety, safety, safety. Like you got to live to hunt another day, got to live to hunt another year. And so you have to make good decisions back there. So I'll camp off the ridge. I'll try to read these storms coming in. If I do see a storm coming in, you know, if you're on a stock, guys, it's going to mess up your wind. You're going to get these downhill thermals as it cools that mountainside and then that cool air starts to drop. So it's going to get fickle. So if there's a storm rolling in, you're just better to back off. Like the, the biggest thing with mule deer is keeping the element of surprise, not letting them know that you're hunting them. And so you want the right moment to move in. And so if you have a storm, you're going to have to back out, get to a safe place, get off the ridge lines. I like to be in a small group of trees and uh, not by the tallest tree, uh, kind of down in a lola country, a uh, little ravine or a bowl or something like that. Uh, just somewhere down where I'm I'm not on those ridge lines where I feel like it's a safe place. Um, and then I'll, I'll ride it out. If it gets really bad, I'll, I'll be sitting on my feet and like knelt down riding out the storm. But that's, uh, one of the benefits of camping in a good spot is a lot of these storms roll in after dark. And if you do get caught like camping on a vantage point, camping on a ridge and you have to risk it, then have a lightning plan for the middle of the night and your lightning plan uh, it means that you get out of your tent, you grab your rain jacket and you drop elevation and you get to a strategic planned safe spot. Um, so I've had to do that before camping way up on the ridge lines. So, um, just be safe out there, guys. That lightning is not something to be messed with. Um, but I am ready for it and ready to go for it. Another danger, um, is water. So you guys hear me talk about water and rationing my water, making it last. And I definitely do that, but you need to keep tabs on yourself and make sure that you've got good water coming in, knowing where you're going to get water, uh, making sure before you make the ridge that you fill up all your water. So have the capabilities to carry. I know for this trip, I'm, I'll be able to carry 196 ounces of 36, about 200 ounces of water on me. So, um, you know, I can, I can pack it to the, to the, to the ridge if need be. And, and that's, you know, uh, 12, 12 pounds of water. So, you know, I can hike it back when I want to change camps and I don't got to worry immediately of where I'm going to get water. Like the worst thing you can do is hike to the top of the ridge and only have a 32 ounce bottle of water and run out of water and you're up on that ridge. And now you have to drop a thousand feet, 1500 feet to go get water. So just make sure you have enough, pay attention to those high mountain springs, pay attention to those high mountain lakes, fill up where you can and, um, really make sure you've got enough water coming in. That's going to be key, especially like this hunt I'm going on. That's extreme hot weather. Um, you know, it's going to be brutal. Guy's going to be sweating a bunch and uh, going to have to take in more water than I normally do for sure. Um, I also like uh, uh, salt, salt tablets. Uh, make sure I've got enough salt coming in. I uh, usually get enough through my food, but those salt tablets are something that endurance athletes use uh, for like ultras and things of that nature. And I've bonked before just drinking water where you don't absorb the minerals in it or the salt in it. You actually need salt in your system and salt does retain water. Um, so some salt pills or maybe some additive, uh, that liquid IV is great stuff. Uh, put some of those in your pack, just making sure that you're keeping hydrated and you know, nothing will kill you faster. Well, maybe lightning will, but nothing will kill you faster than water. Like, uh, water, um, you know, once you start getting to a bad spot with water, it can get real dangerous real quick. Uh, dehydration is real. And I had that really good buddy of mine that I told you about that started having his liver and his kidneys shutting down. He was, um, hunting Hawaii. It was really hot. He had brought enough water hunting with his buddy. His buddy forgot his water. He shared half his water. They hunted hard all day. He made it back to the truck and sure he was dehydrated, drank some water that tasted like a plastic bottle in his truck, but you know, it wasn't anything, you know, it wasn't like he pushed himself too awful far or anything like that. Just a grueling day, dehydrated and got home. And I mean, um, yeah, liver and kidney started to shut down. He had to go into the hospital. Like it can be real. People die from it. Heat stroke is real. I watched this, this documentary. And I'm going to butcher my memory of it, but I just have to let you guys know. I like love documentaries and I, I love um, like these feats of human endurance. And um, so I was watching this documentary and it's this guy, I believe he was hiking the Nile 
and uh, he was hiking the Nile and he was hiking along the river. And part of the sketchiness of this trip and this documentary is like he got robbed in some of these African countries that were just sketchy that he had to walk through. And he was walking the whole length of a mile or of the Nile. And so he got to this one place and this journalist and photographer flew in to meet him and they were going to travel with him on the next leg of the journey. And so they were going to photograph him. They were, uh, the, the journalist was going to write some pieces on him. And so these guys were going to hike with him and it wasn't even that far of a push. I can't remember exactly the miles they had to do. It was, you know, I, I don't know, 10, 12 miles they were doing that day, but it got super hot there. Like, really hot and it was the jungle and so um uh it was real humid as well and there was a spot where they were going to leave the river like the river made this huge bend around and they'd have to walk 20 miles to walk this bend of the river or they could cut straight across and it was six miles and so they took off and started going and i can't remember i believe it was the photographer um he just started feeling bad, started lagging behind. He was in the back of the group. He was still trying to keep up. And there was a bunch of porters in there. There was 10, 12, 15 guys that were all making this journey at this point. And uh, uh, the f- photographer just started to get into bad shape, like uh, just was lagging behind. And all of a sudden couldn't go anymore. It was too hot, couldn't regulate his temperature. And so they gave him all their water. And then they were uh, wetting down T-shirts and putting on them. And finally they had to call for a helicopter to evac him. As Africa, like he just went downhill so quick. And this is in the span. I mean, the hike is, I mean, you're talking a few hours and then a couple hours that they're trying to take care of him and get him water and fan him and cool him down. And he died before the helicopter got there. It's just so wild, man. Uh, and, and the guy continued on with the documentary after that. He thought about quitting and, um, it was so sad to watch this photo photographer that was a young fit guy with a family and just going to document this adventure this guy was doing and ended up dying doing it. So, um, heat stroke is real guys have enough water. And as I talk to guys, I maybe don't, um, I maybe don't bring enough attention to the water, but some of the scariest stories that I've heard from guys or that I'd been in myself are dehydration like that that film that I did a couple years back they never showed any of the dehydration in the end but my buddy Dan um he was in tough shape um you know we started that day and I think I had 12 ounces of water at the start of that day we'd been backpacking for three days and we were going to go out that morning and I think Dan had 24 ounces and I spotted a buck and luckily I had a good hunting partner that I said I'm going to go try to kill him and I ended up killing him but it took me nearly all day sitting in the sun. I didn't kill him till three or four o'clock in the afternoon. We were so dehydrated. Mouse were so dry and ended up butchering the buck, hanging him up in a tree. And I was on a mountain range where I could access that side, but our truck was on the other side of the range. And so we hiked out without the buck, got back to our coolers, got back to water, got hydrated. And then um, I packed the buck out the next morning, hiked up there early in the morning in the dark and packed him out. But um, my point is, is that we pushed it pretty far as far as dehydration goes. Like uh, you got to keep tabs on that stuff. Like that is how people die. Heat stroke is real. And heat stroke is is not only running out of water, it's effort plus water. Like um big effort, uh climbing these mountains, climbing this elevation, doing these kind of miles. Like um it it can definitely hit you and, and all of a sudden, you know, you you'll um you know, you just start getting in tough shape. And once you start getting in tough shape, it's tough to get it back just by drinking water. So it's one of those things that you have to maintain throughout the hunt, throughout the day. Always be taking tabs on your hydration level. Never push it. Um, I mean, I say never push it after just telling you a story of pushing it. But it's like within reason, you know. Just make sure that you're keeping good tabs on yourself. And, um, you know, through a lot of my trail running, wrestling as a kid, you know, I, I know where my limits are. I know where my water capabilities are and I feel safe and comfortable in the mountains. And, and, and it's part of mule deer hunting is lack of water. Like they do not need water every day. They get a lot of water from their food source. And so it is making do with water. So just pay attention to it as you're going guys. And, uh, as we're talking about safety, I've been through lightning, been through that. Also, uh, elevation sickness, or I like to call it exhaustion sickness, because um, I think it's brought on by elevation, but also exhaustion. And I've given it to myself uh, 
I had like a, a big 50 mile trail run with 11,000 vert gain and loss hot day doing it. And, um, I gave myself elevation sickness up there. Just running at 10,000 feet is just different than running at five, 6,000 feet. And I bonked up there. I was able to, um, I was able to gut it out and get that one done. Uh, I got a bad one 20 years ago, chasing elk with my rifle that just started going to the top of the mountain. And I, I was trying to keep up with the herd. I was trying to find a six point and there was a, like a couple hundred elk with some five points in there. And, and I just kept chasing the herd, lay down for a rest and look for a six point, look for a six point, nothing. And they're kind of just filtering through the trees. And I was just chasing them like a madman. And it was before I really worked out and trained for hunting season. It was just, you know, hunting season. I was going so hard and I punked. I, I threw up up there. I was throwing up water and food. I had to lay down, take a nap on a rock. I was by myself. I was able to to hike out, but I've seen a couple of buddies just absolutely bonk that are in good mountain shape. And I think it has to do with pace. It has to do with exertion and it has to do with elevation. So just listen to your body. Find your pace in the mountains. Don't push too fast, too hard, too fast. And I think the one year I had a really good buddy get it and he got it. Uh, we were pushing into this backcountry spot that he had hunted before, but I was just in ripping shape and I was pushing a pace in the mountains. And of course he's keeping up with me the whole time. And so I just think he pushed too fast of a pace and we got in there, he got sick and he couldn't keep down water, couldn't keep down food. Uh, he was in rough shape. Like he hunted the next day, tried to make the ridge and then couldn't hunt anymore down in his tent. We finally had to get him out of there. Um, so it, it can happen to anybody guys. So just got to. Uh, really listen to your body in the mountains and make smart decisions. So that's it for all the for all the dangerous stuff. Other than the steep stuff, falling off a cliff, you definitely do that too in mule deer. Keep it safe. Uh, never push past your comfort level. You can always walk around something. Uh, three points of contact if it gets sketchy, which is two hands and a foot or two feet and a hand. Uh, strap your bow to your pack and and um, uh, don't do too like a. Uh, just don't push past your comfort level. Like I'm really good in the steep, but I don't need to go free solo something with my bow. You know, like I'm just going to find a better route down it. Uh, so make sure you keep it safe in the steep. Okay. That's it for all the dangerous stuff. So, uh, hunting high country mule deer have to be able to cover country. Uh, if you're not seeing them, if they're not there, if you don't see them during a prime time, it's time to move, move with your camp on your back, move your camp to a different location, keep covering miles. And I like to get off the horse trails. I like to get to places where water's tough. It seems like that's tough for guys to get into. And so if I have to pack 12 pounds of water to the top of the ridge to live up there for three, four days, it's worth it for me. And so that's something that I'll implement as well. Um, you know, everybody can glass out a, uh, out off a road out their truck window. So I like to get to spots that are tougher to glass. You know, places uh, that you really got to hike into or look at the backside uh, seems to be animals in there as well. And so I'm just going to keep covering country and I'm really going to believe in my glass. I'm going to be low impact, try not to walk on the ridge lines. A deer can see a skyline human forever. Every basin that I come over, I'm going to crawl over it like I think there's a deer there. And I'm going to glass it. I'm going to pick it apart and uh, then roll on to the next one. And I'll, I'll try not to rule out any real bucky basins during the middle of the day. I'll really want to look at those at a prime time, uh, but keep moving through country, traveling through country. I mean, I don't plan to come back to my truck and relocate, but if I have to, I will. Uh, my plan is to just um, keep moving my camp farther down. If I have to come out at a different spot or get picked up or get my stuff down to the road and jog back to the truck, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll do it. But um, I, I'm going to try to go back and disappear with all my nine days worth of stuff and uh, then just move my backcountry camp and, and try to get some plays on these good bucks. And so grabbing these vantage points, I'm going to watch them and early season, like the majority of hunting season, what I'm doing is I'm stalking the animals on their feet. On their feet, I can keep tabs of their mannerisms, their feeding, they're focused on feeding, not just focused on danger. Like, like, um, I, I love hunting elk and their feeding features. And so I hunt a lot of elk and deer on their feet. Uh, the one time that changes is this early season high country and open terrain. So I will still hunt them on their feet if I see an opportunity, but a lot of times I'm looking for these things to bed in their second bed and, and where 
betting ground turns from low percentage to high percentage is when you know their exact location. So if a buck disappears in a patch of timber, and I know he's in that patch of timber, but I don't know where, that's not a high percentage for me. I'd rather wait, be patient on my stock, wait for a better opportunity. And I might try to ambush him when he comes out in the evening, try to play where I think he'll come out, or I'll try to get in striking distance when he comes out to feed. Uh, you know, once those thermals change around, they're coming downhill, you know, I may have an approach on him. Or maybe right when he comes out in the afternoon, I've still got the uphill thermals. I'll try to play that. Uh, but I, I don't go chase them in places where I don't know exactly where they're at. Now, where it turns high percentage is when I see that buck bed down and I know exactly where he's at. That means I can stock to that location without that buck moving. Like I can stock up to that spot and he's still going to be there. And so a lot of times I'm looking for bucks in their second bed. Their second bed is usually an afternoon bed. They'll stay there longer. Morning beds, the, the winds can still be a little fickle. Um, uh, afternoon beds, the directional winds will come up. And so the directional winds are going to, uh, hide some of my cover noise as well as be steady and consistent. And these winds like wind bust more stocks than anything else out there. Guys like have to get a higher understanding of the wind have to have a higher understanding of how the directionals work and how the thermals work. So thermals work, um, uh, thermal wind. So as the sun comes up and it starts shining on the valley floor and it heats up the valley floor, that valley floor then heats that air uh, and then that air starts to rise and it finds its way up hills and up canyons and up ravines. It wants to to ride all the way up this mountainside. And so, you know, that's an uphill thermal. Now, by the time the sun gets up, it starts to get warm on the valley floor. This can happen anywhere from about 8 to 10 o'clock. These thermals will switch and start going uphill, but they're inconsistent at first. They're fighting themselves. There's uphill thermals and downhill thermals, and it's real fickle. This is a tough time to kill them or get a consistent win. This is most of the time when bucks bed in their first bed. So then that thermal wind heats up as the day gets hotter and there's more sunshine down on that valley floor. Those thermal winds get really consistent uphill. They're just blowing up the whole day. Now where that can change is if you have cloud cover come over, you have a storm blow in, it rains on the hillside or it shades the hillside. Well, now all of a sudden it's shading that hillside and that air on that hillside is starting to cool and that air starts to drop. So, um, you know, this is like a, a spot where the where the thermals can change. And for the most part, like thermals will change in the evening as that mountain does get shaded as the sun starts to set, that air cools, it starts to drop. So learn how these thermals work in these mountain ranges. Also, creek bottoms is it's really cool, cold uh, mountain spring water. This mountain spring water uh, cools the air around it, that air starts to drop. So sometimes you can have a steady uphill thermal and you get down in the creek bottom and the wind's going downhill. You know, you can use this to your advantage. I, I killed a buck in this, um, I killed a buck last year in the high country where I used a crick bottom like this to take my scent downhill, um, and got down below the buck and then came up at him. And so, uh, you can really use that to your advantage knowing how thermals work and then directionals. So, you know, and I've stated this on the podcast, I'm sorry if this is a repeat, it's just so important in, in, in harvesting mature mule deer elk or, you know, the wind is just so important to have this higher understanding of it. And I'll, I'll be taking tabs of the wind everywhere I'm in the mountains. I'll be taking notes on it. I'll be looking at forecasts to, are they forecasting a Southwest directional tomorrow? Or are they, how strong is it going to be? Like I'm, I'll be looking at all this stuff, trying to have this higher understanding of the wind. So when I get a chance at a buck, like I know what the wind's doing. So directionals, um, so directionals blow at a mountain, like a, a really good directional wind. Directionals get strongest in the afternoon. Uh, they blow nice and steady. You can look it up on a forecast to see where the directional wind should be blowing. Um, I really ha like hunting on the, um, uh, the, the windward side or strong wind side. So if it's a south wind and I'm on a south face, that wind is blowing right up with me. It's working right with the thermals blowing uphill. This is the strong wind side or the, the windward side. And so I really like to find bucks that are on the windward side or even like a like a quartering, like say I'm on a south face and I have an east to west wind, I can use that wind because I know it's blowing across the slope. It's working for me. The, the worst place to find a consistent wind 
uh, is the the leeward side or the lee wind side. And so on the backside, so you're on the north side with a south wind and it'll just be a washing machine in that top third of the mountain blowing wind everywhere. And it's really tough to kill a buck on a, on a leeward wind side. And so, uh, look, look for those winds and, um, take tabs of them and they're different in mountain ranges the way they work in canyons and they won't blow uh down in the draws as much as they will on the ridge lines or um you know you can have uh, a crosswind that's like that east to west and you're on a south facer but you can have uh micro ridge lines in there that all of a sudden it creates a leeward side within that face be careful of those uh, just be taking tabs of it. If you think they're going to wind you, they probably are. You can't cheat the wind. It's got to be right. So that's the first thing I'm going to consider on a stalker. What are the winds doing? What are the winds going to be doing You know, later, an hour from now, two hours from now, when I get over there? And so uh, a, lot of, a lot of the reason that I stalk in their afternoon bed is because I get a better thermal wind. I get a better directional wind. It's higher percentage chance for me. So watch a buck I'll just keep my eyes on him get my scope on him and I just once I find a shooter I don't take my eyes off him I'm just what is that buck gonna do where is he gonna bed watch him bed in his morning bed and then I'll just sit there and just be patient just wait for him and uh, he'll get up usually change beds sometimes he beds in the same location again for the afternoon sometimes he'll move a mile up the hill from from the first bed so um, I'm just gonna watch him just gonna keep my eyes on him I'm going to see um, where he goes and what he does, see the bucks with him, the bucks with him. I'm going to see where they bed as well. Hopefully they don't uh, bed in my path to him. Like this is part of the thing that I'll, uh, um, that I'll, that I'll really weigh over when I'm deciding whether or not I'm going to stalk is where the other bucks are bedded. Um, you know, maybe bedded, maybe busted most by the wind. Second most would probably be, uh, other bucks that I'm not even planning to shoot that catch me. And so, uh, it's definitely something that you, that you have to weigh your options on. So, um, I'm going to look at where they bed in their afternoon beds. I'm really going to use the ungulation and topography. I'm going to try to come in above them or same elevation as them, come in with a good wind approach. And it's always going to look different when you come over there. So I'll make a good plan for a stock that's, you know, really thought out and how I can get close to them. But it may change when I get over there. And so before I leave, it's always going to look different when you get over there. It's, uh, um, it just never looks like it does from a vantage point. You get over there and he might be by the red tree and then you get over there and there's five red trees. It's just really tough. It's going to look way different. And so take the time before you go on a stock to, to take pictures of the hillside zoomed in and zoomed out. Uh, know where that buck is, like draw a point on him. On your on X, you can even mark where you think that buck is and where you want to stalk to. So it's on your map right there. Just like the more tools or the more time you take to really plan out your stock, to really look at that hillside, uh, the the easier it'll be to recognize when it gets over there. And I can't tell you how many times I've got over to where a giant buck is and it's like, oh, was he in the second draw or the third draw? I'll even be with a buddy and we'll argue on the hillside of where we need to go or how we need to execute and I've done it so many times now that I'm pretty proficient at it, but I, I, I still get lost. I still make mistakes. And, uh, I just remember all the mistakes I made in my younger years where if I just would have taken time to mark it on the map, if I just would have taken time to take a couple different pictures, you know, I'd have that stock dialed. So, uh, make sure when you're planning your stock, um, that you're, that you're really looking at it, really taking tabs of what's on that hillside. And so, uh, after I take tabs, after I decide it's a high percentage stock, he's in his afternoon bed, he doesn't have a buck bedded above him, I've got the wind with me like I'm all in. I'm going to go for a stock and I'm not going to waste any more time. So I'm going to go and I move pretty quick at first. Um, you just want to make sure that you're not moving through any openings. Don't take any shortcuts. Always take the hard way. Always take the long way. Keep the element of surprise. Don't make too much noise rallying down a hillside, rolling rocks where you could possibly spook them. So I like to move quick. And the reason is, is I just don't want that buck to move before I get there again. So a lot of these stocks, I mean, sometimes, you know, I'll be two hours away by the time I cross the canyon. Ideally, I'd like to be 30 minutes to an hour away and know that that buck's going to be bedded for a while. Uh, but I'm going to hurry at first and I'm going to get around this buck. I'm going to use the topography to go around. I'm going to make sure I don't give the buck the wind, make sure I don't 
um, uh, expose myself in an open park or an open meadow, make sure I don't roll a bunch of rocks where I spook them, and uh, going to work around them as quick as I can. And once I get around them, um, you know, I usually set my pack down and get set up for stalking. You know, it can vary anywhere from 100 yards to 200 yards. But once I'm starting to get in tight, uh, take my pack off, I'm just going to be more agile, uh, able to move around more. And sometimes I'll even leave the vantage point without my pack. It just depends. Uh, depends if I need to get that you know, if I want to uh, start hauling that buck out, if I kill him over there, it depends on on the stuff I should have inside my pack. And I actually carry a little stocking pack that's less than a pound um, where, you know, I filled my pockets before, but the stocking pack, you know, I can throw my game bags, my kill kit in there. I can throw um, my rain jacket in there and then I can go ahead and stock with this stuff on my back and it's so small and so light I hardly have any of my gear that now I am agile now I can stock with that on so I will do that approach sometimes where I bring that one a lot of times I'll bring my bigger pack uh, maybe if it doesn't work out on this buck I'll want to be able to glass from there and hunt from that spot uh, maybe I'll want to pack that buck out if I kill him back towards camp. There's uh, a, a bunch of different reasons where I'd bring my pack and not take my stocking pack. It just depends. It's on a case-by-case basis. But 100 to 200 yards, I'm going to drop my pack. Um, I'm going to start moving in, and I'm just really going to make sure I don't expose myself, that I keep this element of surprise, really use the topography to get in close. And there's always a point where you have to relocate this buck. So sometimes it will be at that 100, 200 yards, like, oh, I can see him if I just poke out here. I want to get an eyeball on him, make sure he's still there, see what it looks like while I'm on that hillside. Okay, I'm just going to go get a look right here. And whenever you're getting a look for a buck or you're trying to relocate him, and this is whether he's at 50 yards, 200, wherever it is it's just so slow over the ridge line it's exposed a little piece of country glass everything with your eyes and then you can take another step you have to be sure that he isn't there looking in your direction because you can blow the whole thing up by by walking out too far exposing yourself and all of a sudden you look down and there's the buck and you're waist high over the ridge line you've just moved too fast over the ridge line not glassing every step not picking apart every piece of shade to make sure that this buck can't see you you know looking for him so so you, you'll always have to relocate them, and it's so slow. Um, but just take your time. You don't want to mess it up here. And my my thoughts on a stock are um, if the buck moves off, that's fine. you know. But I'm not going to be the one that screws it up. I'm not going to move too fast, make too much noise. I'm not going to hurry up to the spot. Like I'm, I'm really going to try to do everything in my power to put myself into position to kill this buck. Come on in, bud. All right, Gunny wanted to come down and do the podcast with me. So I'm just going to try to do everything in my power to not give myself away. The element of surprise is so key here. And so I'm going to start moving in, and I'm not only going to keep eyes where my target buck is, I'm also going to keep eyes where I think the other bucks are. I'm going to pick that space apart and make sure there's not another buck there staring in my direction while my target buck's looking away, and I think that I'm clear to move. Uh, I'm going to start creeping in. I'm really going to use the shadows to my advantage, really going to use the ungulation. Any little rise, any little ridge, any little rock, anything that I can put in front of me and the deer where they can't see me, I'm going to use it to my advantage. Uh, Trees as well, just remember that they can see through the branches and they can pick you out moving up, so you have to be careful there as well. And I'm just going to creepy crawl in and keep trying to get closer and closer. Important not to stalk to failure. I think I said it on the last solo podcast, but... Uh, to not keep stalking in until you bust the deer out. To really stalk into your effective range or as close as those deer will allow you. Like sometimes I can't even get in my effective range. Sometimes I can only get to 100 yards or 80 yards and I'm not where I want to shoot that deer but I can't get any closer because I'll expose myself. So in that situation, I'm just going to be patient. I'm just going to just gonna wait. Buck's going to get up. He's going to move around. Maybe he moves in my direction. Maybe he moves out and I can make... Uh, another move on them, but I'm just not going to give away that element of surprise. I'm not going to stalk to failure, and I'm just going to keep creeping in to when I get inside my effective range and then be real careful. The closer you get, like the more danger you're in. Animals pick up on movement so well, and so if they see any of that movement, 
then they're going to snap their head and look in that direction. They're going to try to confirm that movement. Uh, sometimes they'll blow out just from the first movement. Sometimes they didn't see enough of it to spook them that they'll look up to confirm that movement. And if you stay frozen, they'll go back to being a buck in five minutes, in 10 minutes, and they'll just say to themselves, oh, it was nothing. Like there's so much that goes on the, you know, goes on in the high country. There's rocks rolling down. There's coyotes working ridge lines. There's other deer, other does. Like they're used to noise. They're they're used to some chaos up and through there. And so it's wild, like what you can get away with. But it's it's just so important to just slow down. Like you think you're moving slow enough, slow down. It's just uh, the 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 closer you get, the slower you have to move. It's it is the hands of a clock. And uh, just really good, precise movements to get in there tight. And then, you know, if that buck's bedded there and I'm into my effective range, you know, I'm just going to be careful not to move too much, not to try to, you know, maybe I could shoot him in his bed if I could get six steps to my right. But if if I don't have the concealment to be able to get those six steps, I'm not going to take him and try to shoot him there in his bed. I'd rather just sit there and wait and let that buck get up. And you can really read a lot by the mannerisms of the deer, like the way his horns are facing. If they start turning erratic, you know that he's getting nervous. Like you can really read uh, their emotion in, in in their body language and in in the way their racks face. And so so important to to keep tabs on that and pay attention to it as you're stalking in. And uh, so I want to keep that element of surprise. And um, usually I want to let that buck make that last move. I want him to get up. And when a buck first gets up, he really looks around for danger. So he's going to stand up and his head's going to be up. And it's almost going to look like he's on edge, like he's going to bust. And and I've had him stand up and look right at me at 12 yards and look right through me and not see me. They're going to look up and they're going to look for danger. And they might look in a direction for two minutes and then turn their head and look in another direction for two minutes. This is their standard protocol when they get up out of their beds. Eventually, if they don't see anything, they calm down and they go to feeding. This is the perfect chance to draw on them. So uh, as well as being patient on the stock, I also want to be patient patient on the shot. I want to make sure none of these deer are looking at me directly when I draw my bow. Um, you know, and there is a time and place. Sometimes a deer starts to get up and you can draw your bow. Sometimes he gets up and he's looking away from you. That's perfect. You can draw your bow. If they're looking in my direction and I know I'm not busted, I'm just going to wait. I'm not going to give myself away. Uh, I'm going to wait till I have no deer looking at me and then try to draw my bow. Now, there is a time and a place where you are busted, where you stalk in. Maybe you made a movement. Maybe one of the bucks saw you. Like, it's going to happen on multiple stalks where you're busted. You might be in range, but you're busted. And all of a sudden, one of the deer stands up and looks at you. And then all of a sudden, like, and you can tell when they stand up and they're staring right at you the whole time. And then another buck will see that buck getting nervous. And he'll stand up and look in your direction. And at this point, I know I'm busted. So, you know, there's a time and a place to wait it out. Maybe these bucks start to move off and then I'm going to try to draw on them. A lot of times with him looking at me and I'm busted and I know the gig's up and he's broadside, I'm going to try to get drawn and shoot him. I don't notice any difference from a relaxed deer to an on-edge deer as far as jumping the string. It seems like about the same odds. And I've I've shot plenty of deer that are on-edge deer. So in this case, what I'm going to do is this deer's looking at me, but he's broadside. I'm busted. I know the gig's up, but I'm in range. And so uh, for me, it's just a, a small movement like... The slower you can move, you can get away with with slow movement. If you move fast, if you move erratic, if you try to take a couple steps, they're gone. They blow out of there. But if you just move so ultra slow, like painfully slow to get your bow up, painfully slow to draw your bow and get it anchored, painfully slow to put the pin where it goes, just as slow as you can move. It's amazing what you can get away with. And you, I've shot a lot of bucks that way. And so there is a time and a place. I'm going to play it patient, keep the element of surprise. But if stuff starts to blow up and I'm reading the mannerisms or the emotions of those deer and I'm busted, like I'm going to try to draw my bow and get a shot off on that deer. And, and you guys should too. Um, so those are some of the things that I, that I try to do on the stock. And it, it's important to like, not it's 
we work so hard this entire hunt to get an arrow in an animal. You're just, I'm just thinking to myself, if I can just get in bow range, I can arrow an animal. And getting in bow range is only half the battle. The other half is um, getting your bow drawn back, getting a good range. Um, you know, the devil's in the details. And especially, you know, I really feel like range finding is an absolute art. And um, I've got uh, the the Sig Sauer 5K. They're doing an update on it with archery mode where you input your archery speed into the rangefinder. I'm so stoked for this. Uh, so I may have a prototype that I'm using for this hunt that I'm super stoked. But the, um, the other 5K did great for me on angles. And it's just like a great rangefinder. It... It shoots uh, a good rangefinder should give you the same ranges on light and dark targets. A good rangefinder should be able to th- shoot through grass to give you a constant readout. And it's one thing standing in your backyard, like go crawl through the grass and try to get ranges when you just barely are trying to expose your eyes above the grass, just barely trying to get a shot. It is so tough to get good ranges, and so really practice with your rangefinder on the hunt, before the hunt, anytime you have a chance. Like it. It's like maybe not as much of a skill as like uh, archery and shooting a buck, but dang near. Like it is a skill just the same that needs to be uh, worked on and honed and and uh, perfected. And so like it's part of my game. It's cost me bucks before, and I, you know, I could go through the different range finding mistakes. But it's like it's it's um, gosh, it's just horrible when you when you execute a perfect shot and it should be a dead deer and you don't have the right range and it happens it happens so much so make sure you're practicing with your rangefinder at all times and really get down in the grass when you're rangefinding it's not clear targets you know or just try to range right over a ridge through the grass and try to hit a tree behind it like just see what they are and you can also use features around the deer you can shoot the tree above the deer you know you can double check your range but just make sure you're getting a good range on these animals like you know i like to not only get a range once i like to get a range twice make sure that i have the right range because if i'm a few yards off it means missing that deer and it's really easy to pick up the grass in front of them or the trees behind them so i had a hunt in this range i maybe told you guys about this but um i found this giant buck i found this this buck that was pushing a 200 inch typical frame and he was running with another buck. I think there's four or five in the group. I take that back. I, I think there's, I think there's four in the group. So uh, one of the bucks was this giant 200-inch frame buck, and he looked like a really nice buck, like four or five years old. But then he was with this this old dinosaur of a buck. He was with this buck with that was this three-point, but had the biggest bladed, sorted tines, and had the biggest frame and the heaviest mass, and his body was bigger than that than that 200-incher. He was just a a mega deer. And so my sights were really set on that big three-point. I mean, it was probably a three-point that went 170, 180 inches. Not that inches matter. It's just super impressive and uh, so heavy, so palmated, and so mature. Like, you know, seven, eight, nine years old. I mean, who knows until I kill him and get him aged. And so anyways, I'm gunning for this buck, and um, they're across this this giant mega canyon like lose 2000 gain 2000 and then got to do it all over again to come back to camp just the uh, just an absolute mega stock but uh it's such a great buck and so i bedded him in this basin and just as i was getting across it took me quite a while to get over there hour and a half hour and 45 maybe even two hours and by the time i start crescent i catch those bucks on their feet and they're working up into this timber patch and so i bedded them in their second bed in a timber patch but they had got up in the afternoon and just figured that they'd feed around in the green grass a little bit and that they were going to change beds and so i caught them and um i bedded those bucks down up on that hillside and i had a good approach and so i started slipping through the trees and getting over there had a great wind great approach and i get over there and uh, i see that giant three and he's bedded there and i can see his rack i can see the other bucks rack and so i get set up i'm fairly close and so you know just like telling you guys on the stock i don't want extra movement uh i don't need to move anymore i'm inside my effective range and so uh, i'm just going to get set up for a shot when this buck stands up i'm going to shoot him and so i started range finding this was back in the day a bit you know the rangefinders weren't quite as good as they are today i'm so impressed with today's rangefinders and that's that sig 5k is the best one i've ever used i love that rangefinder so anyways, I'm, I'm using a, a rangefinder and 
I trust it. I've worked with it. And um, this buck's bedded down. And so he's got this giant velvet rack. And so I hit his velvet rack. And I, I hit his velvet rack I don't know how many times. I mean, um, you know, I have nothing but time to sit there and make sure I've got a good range. And so I hit his rack multiple times. And I get a range. And he's 45, 45, 45. Okay. Got a good range. Not getting any different ranges or anything. And so I uh, set my sight to 45. I wait for that buck to stand. And finally, that you know, 45 minutes goes by and that buck goes to stand and as he stands, he's looking away. And so I draw my bow as he stands, settle my pin and pull, pull, pull and execute. And, um, yeah, I, I watched that arrow fly over the top of his back and bury in the tree behind him. I just like, <laughs> just such a nice big buck. And, oh, I, I went so far to try to stalk this buck and to screw it up like that. And then I ranged the tree, and the tree is 45 yards. The rangefinder never picked up the horns of that buck. So the whole time I had him in the crosshairs of the rangefinder, and every time I'd range, I thought I was getting a range of his horns, but it, it, it his antlers, but it wasn't. It was shooting through his antlers to the tree. So that buck was bedded at 40 yards, and that tree was 45. And uh, so when he stood up, I sent one right over his back. Easy, makeable shot for him. It just killed me. And just a range-finding mistake. Um, you know, and the, the, the kicker of that whole deal is um, that buck stood up. He was looking away from me. I, I could have ate a sandwich and, and range-finded him, stood up, had the exact range, and still shot him and still had time left over. Like, he had no idea I was there. I had the element of surprise. And I rushed it having this range that I had to shoot when he stood up, you know, and I really thought I had a range on his horns. And I'm sure I've killed bucks like that before where I've had a range on their horns or I've had a range on them when they stand up, I shoot them, uh, but it didn't work out that time. So the devil's in the details. Range finding is an art. It's a skill that needs to be honed like anything else. Practice with that thing while you're in the mountains. Uh, Gain trust in it. Like your whole hunt is going to come down to that range finder at some point, at least for me. So, um. Yeah, uh, make sure you're, you're range finding, making sure you go through your shot press process. Um, for me, the biggest thing is to pull, pull, pull. Uh, that's to execute my shot correctly, and so that's what I've been focusing on. And my mental side of things before I left here, um, you know, I've been walking around. Uh, I've got a string that I use for a trainer and then my release on it, and I've been walking around closing my eyes pointing downhill, visualizing myself, anchoring, leveling, putting the pin where I want it, pull, 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 and execute uh, over and over again. And I'll continue to do it on the hunt. I'm going to continue to have these these visualizations of me executing correctly. Like, you know, a, a lot of this, there's so much enjoyment for me, for the adventure, for the challenge, um, but but also, you know, it's not just killing a buck for me. It's executing correctly, like giving this buck a quick death. Like I want to put a perfect arrow on him. That's what I've trained all year for. There's no better feeling. I want to make a perfect shot on him. And to do that, I have to stay present. And it's something that I just can't forget or go into autopilot. So I'm thinking about it at all times. Uh, so I've been visualizing a lot coming into this. I've been getting my mind right to be able to push uh, to be able to uh, face these challenges, these hurdles I'm going to face. Um, I know I'm going to have to adapt to the situation and, you know, it, it's, um, it's gonna, it's gonna be tough, but it's, uh, man, this is what I live for. This is it, man. It's like, I get to go, I get to go do what I love and, and, um, cut loose in the mountains. I've got all my food packed, all my gear packed. And this is the, um, this is the purest form uh, of bow hunting, like hunting with everything in my backpack, living out of the mountains and, uh, hopefully getting some stocks on these bucks and these stocks on these bucks. Um, for me, that's worth the price of admission. The excitement I get to be able to stock a target buck that I want to shoot is everything for me. And they're so challenging. Uh, they're so tough to kill that I know it's going to take being, you know, this precise stock, this calculated methodical play. And, and I have to get everything right on these stocks. If you don't get every detail right on these stocks, they blow up and you, you might get everything right and they still might blow up. And you know what? You're going to have to lean on your mental side, pick yourself back up and get back after it. Either relocate that deer or go find another one. Uh, at least that's what I'm going to have to do. Uh, so, um, man, I'm just, uh, get, get my head right and, um, 
getting ready to launch out of here and uh, go embark on a big adventure. It's so cool that we get to do this in the most extreme places in the lower 48, just these wild mountain ranges that we get to go disappear into, um, you know, and these, you know, make these, these critical decisions and, and um, really immerse ourselves in like the, it's, it's like the, like with nature, it's it's as intimate as it gets. It's the predator prey relationship, and you know it's the whole reason why we've survived uh, for thousands of years as as humans is our ability to hunt and tapping into this, this this primal feeling or tapping into this this visceral feeling. It uh it makes me feel alive. Like it is the ultimate challenge. It's really difficult, and uh, being in that mindset, it's. You, you have to absolutely be present to everything around me, uh, to, to the woods. I have to get in sync with them, and it's, um, it, it forces me to be in that present moment and make decisions in that present moment, and that's really good and really healthy for me. So, uh, man, you guys, um, I am so excited. Like, uh, it's time. So I know I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got an early hunt here. You guys will be going on your hunt soon, and it's just starting. We, you know, we have mule deer, and uh, we have antelope, and uh, uh, elk is coming at some of the most thrilling hunting. And, you know, I have that moose tag this year, which is going to be incredible. I've been scouting for that. Uh, mid-season muleys, late-season muleys, like it all starts right now, our funnest time of the year. And we've worked hard all year long. Uh, to try to try to create this time that we can go enjoy ourselves in the mountains and go chase our passions and then it's it's finally here so that's what i'm gonna go do i'm gonna release this podcast to you guys i think i'll release this one this week for any of you guys that have early hunts and um then we'll i'll get a podcast ready to go for next week all loaded up ready to release and uh i'm gonna go cut loose in the mountains so thanks as always guys for all your support uh, thanks again to our sponsors for today's show, uh, Black Ovis. Super excited about partnering with those guys. So they're an online retail store. They have all the top brands, absolutely everything you need for hunting season. If you need something coming up, uh, make sure to give them a shout. You can use that promo code ELEVATED10. That'll save you 10% on your order. That's also a way that they track uh, the engagement from the podcast. So uh, it helps me out as well when you use that promo code. So um yeah, make sure to go check them out. Uh, make sure to um, uh, go check out um, Cryptech. Uh, I have the best technical mountaineering gear system that I've ever had put together. Super stoked with their camo patterns. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about this season and, and using their gear. I've got this, this um, everything put together from early season, mid-season, late season. Uh, I've got all the right stuff, and it, it helps keeping me comfortable out there, and it also helps keep me safe. Uh, also, make sure to check out Camelfire, the most addictive app on the internet. Uh, you can get some great deals, uh, over 80 hunting deals every 24 hours with great items that come up to auction um, that, that you can bid on or that you can get. So uh, make sure to check that out on Camelfire. And uh, with that, guys, I'll be in the mountains. Um, thanks, as always, for all the support, social media. I'll try to update you guys as I can, and we'll try to get some content while I'm back there. So um, thanks a bunch, guys. I appreciate you. Um, Good luck this hunting season.